Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to Exodus 17. When you're in the midst of a trial, you are probably you're, you're possibly like one of two types of people. You either overshare that trial with everybody, or you or you don't. You, you keep very quiet about it. You either overshare it with everybody, like like you're walking through Walmart and some stranger just looks at you and says, "How you doing?" And you respond, "I'm not good. My life is in shambles, and everything. Everyone's turning their back on me. I don't know where to go." And that person's like, "Okay, I'm." going to get my toothpaste. I wasn't looking to talk to you, but, um, or you retreat from the world like a cat. You ever had a cat that, um, that, that disappears and like, I don't know, whiskers goes off and, and you, you don't see him again for like six years and you tell the kids he died. I'm so sorry. We're, we'll get a new cat. And then like six years later, when your kids are graduating high school, whiskers shows back up. So, some people do that when they're in a trial. They just retreat from the world. They vanish and they deal with it all on their own. There are times when I'm both of those, but the fact is, you're, you're going to go through trials, and what you need to understand about the trials of life is no matter where, what they are, they're spiritual in nature, all of them. Whether it's physical sickness, or whether it's marital problems, or depression, or loneliness, or conflict with other people, or anything else, there's a spiritual component to all the troubles of your life, whatever they are. And if you see it only physical and not spiritual, you will never battle it properly. You will never fight it properly. You won't. You, you will. Um, you, Exodus 17, Israel faces one of those, one of their first of many wartime battles over the story of Israel that we're not even going to finish with Exodus. When, when we get to the end, they're still going to go on for a few books. They're going to fight many battles like this. And at face value, what we're going to read right now is just a battle in war. It's just a normal battle between two armies when soldiers are on the battlefield and they're fighting. And, and the fact is, when soldiers are fighting on a battlefield and they're shooting at each other, no one thinks that is a spiritual battle. But it is. And if it's a spiritual battle, that means you have to respond properly. You have to fight it the right way. Moses recognizes that. And so that's what he does. So let's read Exodus 17. I'm going to read verses 8 through 16. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Moses, Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held his hand 
Up, Israel prevailed, and when he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. When the Lord saw, when the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book, and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It was my junior year of college, finishing up that school year, and um, I, I wanted to be BCM president the next year. I was really involved with the BCM. I was one of the people that had been there for my first day on campus and was you know, one of the people that was most involved with everything that went on. And um, they usually chose a senior for president, so I really, wanted to be, I really wanted to be president. And the way they decided was students applied, and all the students who applied were interviewed by the campus minister and by the other staff and by the, um, by the preceding president and, and various things like that. So um, interviews were happening, so I applied. And um, I applied, two other guys applied, one named Josh, one named Perry. Um, I, P- Perry was um, one of my best friends. Josh was just another guy at the BCM that I knew but, you know, wasn't super close to. Um, and so I got ready for my interview. I fasted 24 hours prior to my interview for some reason. I, I think I believed that it would make me super spiritual in the interview and, like, that would make me get the job or something. But um, went right when I finished my interview, I went and pigged out on Chinese food. Um, they did the interviews, and I didn't get it. I didn't get BCM president. Perry got it. Perry was one of my best friends, and he was um, farther along in his walk with Jesus than, than I was. And um, the campus minister, Tommy, was my mentor. He's like my second father um, still to this day. Um, but because I didn't get BCM president, because I was so convinced that, that, that I should have gotten it, I got really angry at both of them. One of my best friends and my mentor, I got really angry at them. I got the call Saturday that I didn't get it, and um, I was consumed with anger toward them for the next few days. Until Tuesday night. Tuesday night, we had our BCM worship service. It always took place Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m., and um, Tommy preached that night, and I don't remember what he preached on. I just remember that something struck me while he preached that I had to surrender my grudge and let go of that grudge that I didn't get president. So we had a cross down at the front. It served as an altar. And um, so people would go down there and pray during the response time. And so I went down and I prayed uh, at, at, the, at the cross. And I just said, Lord, I'm, I'm still really angry, but I just uh, I need to let this go. So please help me let this go. And about the time that I prayed that, I felt an arm on my shoulder, and it was Perry. Perry had just felt the need to come and pray over me during that time. And um, so, so that was kind of the um, identifying time that just made me drop the grudge and let it go. After that... I no longer cared that I didn't get BCM president because the issue was not that I didn't get what I wanted. The issue was that was not that I was deprived of a good desire. It was a spiritual battle. It was a spiritual issue that I needed to get resolved. I was holding a grudge and not forgiving Perry and Tommy. Had I not let that grudge go, I might still be bitter about that today, nine years later. 
our society is full of people that are drowning in bitterness or drowning in loneliness or drowning in fear or drowning in depression or a whole host of other emotions. And the reason that is the case is there are spiritual components to their trial that they have never dealt with. And when you don't fight your battles on a spiritual level, you never finish those battles. You're still fighting them decades later, but they've left you worn out and scarred. Moses recognizes that the battle with Amalek is not just a battle fought with brute force. They're going to go and they're going to have this sword fight and everything else that they're doing, shoot bow and arrows. They're going to do all this, but Moses recognizes it's not just a battle on the battlefield. It's a spiritual battle. Moses prepares the people for battle, both physically and spiritually. Physically, he gets Joshua to um, get, a, get an army together to go fight. This is the first time Joshua is mentioned in the story. He's going to be the apprentice of Moses that's ultimately going to um, be the one to carry on what Moses is doing after Moses is gone. He's going to be the one that actually leads them into the promised land. So he gets the battle ready physically, but he handles the spiritual part. He deals with that a lot more. No, he tells Joshua, I'm going to go up on the, on the hill, standing overlooking the battle, and I'm going, to, um, I'm going to hold up the staff of God, and that's what's going to help you win. And actually, the physical part of the battle doesn't matter apart from the spiritual. Joshua's army could fight with everything they've got in this battle, but if without the spiritual fighting, the battle's lost. Seems kind of weird that Moses does this, doesn't he? Um, I mean, honestly, this is something I'd do. Like, you know, the enemy's about to attack. We got this whole group of people. All right, y'all go together, fight the enemy. I'm going to go up on that hill and watch. That, that seems like Moses isn't participating, but he's doing the heavy lifting here. He's doing the hard work. Moses knows this isn't just a physical battle. Amalek is not just fighting against Israel. By coming to fight against Israel, understand that, that, he's, that they're coming against God himself who has chosen Israel as his people. God views his, the, the people of Israel like a wife. You, you read that in other parts of the Bible, that he views Israel like his, like his wife. If you come to fight against my wife, you're, you're fighting against me too. So Moses goes up to fight the battle on his turf spiritually, while the actual battle fights physically. Your battles are spiritual. We like to imagine that spiritual warfare only happens on the mission field. You know, it's only missionaries fighting demonic oppression in the woods of India, but that's not the case. You, you, need to, you need to understand every battle you face is spiritual. When a husband and wife are at odds, that battle's spiritual. Somewhere along the way, the enemy found an entrance into the door of their marriage, and ever since, he has been wrecking havoc on them. And so to fix their marriage, they need spiritual help. To fix the problems of their, to, to, to fix their problem is not just that, you know, that she wants him to listen more. And if he just listened more, that would fix all their problems. It's not just that, you know, they haven't cuddled on the couch in a while. Like, it's not that. There's a spiritual war going on in their marriage, and until that war is fought, the marriage will continue to struggle. When a child goes astray, it's a spiritual battle. I hear this a lot, that they were raised better than that. I don't understand why they've gone astray. They may have been raised better than that, but at some point the enemy got into the door of their life, and until the spiritual battle is fought, the enemy's going to wreck their life, and it doesn't matter how they were taught growing up. Depression and anxiety, they are, they're not only physical battles. 
So I've told you that, um, that, that I take an anxiety medication every day. Um, I don't do that to fix my anxiety. Like, I don't do that to, you know, make it so that I'm never anxious. No. Anxiety is a spiritual battle that has physical symptoms. Anxiety medication keeps the physical symptoms in check. No. I have to spiritually battle the anxiety. Because those things are spiritual battles. I once heard about a church that had a literal fist fight in a business meeting over carpet colors. A a literal fist fight. And they split after that. Understand, that's a spiritual battle. That's not a fight over carpet colors. When a church fights each other, they're having a spiritual battle. Something's spiritually wrong with that congregation. It doesn't matter what color the carpet is, or even things more important than that. It doesn't matter that that is the thing. No. They have a spiritual problem that needs to be fixed, and it surfaces in, other, in fights like that. I had a hard couple weeks the past two weeks. We spent eight days in the hospital. After about five days, I, I went home and took Haddon home. He had been staying at my in-law's house, and I just figured he needed to be at home. So we, we would go up every day when we woke up and come home when the night ended. Um, you know, seeing our son on a breathing apparatus, you know, having to hold him with some wires hooked up to him early on, uh, being told that we were discharged and, um, and that we were going to get discharged and our son would have to stay in the hospital, but we had to go home. That made me, like, I was at my in-law's house with Haddon when Adrian got that word. And um, that, that made me upset, and I, I don't get in a fighting position much, but I grabbed Haddon and said, we're going to fight. And so we went to the hospital, and, and I, I fought the best I could. I got us an extra day, but um, we got discharged and sent home for a night with our son still at the hospital. And um, we had to stay another night after he was finally off of all that breathing equipment. And um, on top of that, I know we're spending probably more money than we should on food while we're up there. And um, I know that at home our lawnmower needs to be fixed. And I don't know what to do about that. And our car door isn't working right. You can't open it from the outside. And laundry's overflowing. And, um, you know, feeling guilty that, you know, I know I've got a lot of work that I need to do, but I'm I'm not doing as much as I should be while we're in the hospital. Um, Knowing that VBS is coming up and preparing myself to be involved in that while having a new baby. And just several other things all piling up all at once. And understand, one night this week I came home from the hospital I brought Haddon home and I told him you can play for five minutes and then we're going to bed and I sat down on the couch and I came unglued I started weeping harder than I've wept in my entire life this week Haddon got scared to death by it and he just started weeping understand I was fighting a spiritual battle there everything all those little things by themselves would have been able to be handled but when they all hit me at the same time that's what happened understand i was fighting a spiritual battle and all week i've been thinking about this sermon like wow i really went through one of these while i'm preparing for this sermon i wasn't just tired i wasn't just worried about my son all battles are spiritual and they have to be battled spiritually since all battles are spiritual we must seek spiritual solutions for them so that's what they do they go up on the hill uh, Aaron Moses and her they all go up on the hill they watch the battle and he, he brings Aaron and her along it's the first time in Israel's history they have both a prophet a priest and a king all working for them her is understand from the line of Judah so he's from the kingly line and so um, Aaron being the priest Moses being the prophet all of them fighting for Israel together um, these are going to be the roles that Jesus serves for us. Um, He speaks truth to us as a prophet. He intercedes for us before the throne of God as a priest, and he rules over the nations as king. And the battle begins to be fought, and and it's down below. 
and Moses holds up his staff. He holds it up, and Israel prevails when he holds it up. When he lowers the staff, they start losing. Where has this staff been before? Well, it's what he used to part the Red Sea, isn't it? It's what he held up to part the Red Sea. It's recalling that. God is using the staff to deliver his people. Understand, you need God supreme in your life. You need God high and lifted up in your life. You need God first place in your life. You need God above all else in your life. Understand, very often the spiritual battles we're facing are the results of misplaced worship. God is not supreme in our lives. He isn't on the throne of our hearts. Something else is. He isn't first to us. Something else is. And that something else often drives our problems. It may be as simple as we have ourselves on that throne. You know how your heart works, how your emotions work? You think your emotions are the truest demonstration of who you are, but that's not true. Your emotions are fueled by what you believe. What you believe is the truest demonstration of who you are. You don't believe me? Well, um, when I deal with anxiety, I'm anxious because I believe the wrong things. I believe things like, oh, I'm so busy, I'm not going to have time to get everything done today, and I just go nuts. I'm, I'm anxious because, you know, somebody's mad at me, and I don't like it. I'm anxious because, oh, no, that pain in my leg, that's probably a tumor, and I'm going to die in a month. They're all beliefs. They're not emotions. They're beliefs. And anxious emotions are fueled by those beliefs. So if I want to fight a spiritual fight and fix those emotions, I have to change my beliefs. I have to believe the right thing. I have to tell the false beliefs that they're wrong and correct them with truth. I have to change my mind until my heart catches up. So I have to tell the truth to each of those lies I'm believing. God controls your time. You don't. So if you don't finish your sermon today or finish what work you've got to get done or get the yard mowed or, or whatever else you've got to get done today, you'll get it done another time. It's okay. The universe is not going to collapse if you don't get it done today. Somebody's mad at me? That's okay. Jesus was hated so much that they killed him, and God raised him from the dead. The God of heaven is okay if he's, he's battled people being mad with somebody before. You worry that thing in your leg is a tumor? Look, you'll live as long as God intends you to live. No, no longer, no shorter. That, that, that pain is not a tumor, it's just a muscle ache. It's part of turning 30. That wasn't in my script, I just said it. Do you see how much... Do you see how much this is redirecting my heart to worship God, to lift him up in my life, rather than fearing circumstances? Whatever emotion you're drowning in, you need to examine what you're wrongly believing that is causing that emotion and redirect your heart toward God's truth. God must be first place in your life. He must be what you worship and what you put above everything else. Moses holds up the staff. This staff symbolizes the Lord. Every time Moses lifts it up, the people prevail in battle. When Moses drops his arm and doesn't have God above everything else, Amalek starts winning the battle. When Moses drops his arm and doesn't have God above everything else, they lose. The trouble comes at, though, Moses gets tired. Because if you've ever held a stick up for a long time, you get tired. If you've ever held anything up for a long time, you get tired. He's, he's, um, he, he's been up here holding up his arms all day. 
and he's losing strength, so he needs help. So what happens? Well, Aaron and Hur come up with a plan to help him. So they pull up a rock, tell him, sit down on this, and then each of them stand there and hold his arm up. One of them's holding up the left arm, one's holding up the right arm. That, that's what they're doing. They're holding it up. They, it, it's a picture of how we fight our battles. We need other people to help. The, the same that you can't handle the physical issues of life without help, hopefully. I hope if you, you know, cut your finger off in a farming machine, I, I hope you don't just put a handkerchief on it and keep working. I hope you go get some help. I hope you get help for problems like that. When it comes to things, spiritually speaking, I hope you get some help too. You need others to help you spiritually. But that's the thing. People don't go to other people to help with spiritual battles very often. They just try to deal with it themselves and they don't win. And the enemy prevails. And next time a battle comes, they're weaker and can't win that either. And this goes over and over and over for 10 years down the road. They are, and, and by the you know, next decade, they're an extremely bitter person, and they don't know why. They don't know why. They have 100 battles that they never really won, they never really concluded, all built up inside of them, and they don't know why they're so mad or so depressed or so lonely. You know a phrase I hear so much as a pastor that just breaks my heart? I'm a very private person. In other words, I'll handle my struggles on my own. I don't need somebody else getting in my business. I can handle it. No, you can't. You can't. If Moses couldn't win this battle without help, what on earth makes you think you're going to win yours? You're, go you're being devoured by the enemy. He's wrecking your heart and destroying your soul, and you're too proud to seek out help from somebody else. This is one of the biggest reasons church exists that we exist in the gathering that we're at right now. We exist to help one another along the life of faith. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Ecclesiastes 4.12, And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. You might lose a battle by yourself, but if you have another person or two more people, the battle doesn't stand a chance. But the problem is, we come into church with a mask on, don't we? We come in and tell everyone our life is going good, but you're drowning in sorrow and pain. I think we do it on autopilot without even thinking about it. Because I told you, I've had those really hard two weeks, but as I walked throughout the crowd this morning and greeted all of you and you asked me how I was doing, I said, good, good, I'm doing good. Because that's just what we respond when people ask us how we're doing. We come in and we tell everyone life is going good, but we're drowning in sorrow and pain. We're, we're, angry. we're so angry we can't focus. We, we um, don't share how we're doing because that would make us look weak, wouldn't it? Don't you know what Jesus says about weakness? 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, boast all the more gladly in weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon you. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's not a very macho man statement, but that's biblical. There are people in these pews beside you who've been through what you're going through. You're not alone in your struggle. God has carried them through it so that now they can help you through it. 
but you have to take your mask off and actually be real with them. This is why I exist as your pastor. I gladly come and pray with you and talk with you before a surgery or when you lose a loved one. Like, ministry happens in those moments. But I think some, like sometimes people in church think that's all a pastor's for. And, and when you view the pastor that way, you won't, look, you won't come to him unless you're sick, mourning, or dying. Hebrews 13, 17 is one of the verses I live by in my ministry. Pastors are keeping watch over your souls. That's what they're called to do. Keep watch over your soul. I will gladly be there for you when you're sick, but caring for your soul is the deeper ministry that I am called to do. You need that. But most people in all churches don't seek that out. It's common in churches that people tell their pastor every time they you know, stub their toe, but they hide the fact that their heart is crumbling under intense guilt and shame. God has given you a pastor, and he's given you each other to help support your arms so you can win spiritual battles. You need each other. Fighting spiritually is how you win. That's how you win. Joshua overwhelmed the Amalekites. That's what he says. He overwhelmed them. Not he barely won. Not he just, you know, had one person left on the battlefield, and he was taking them all out and barely got him and won. No, no, he overwhelmed them. He demolished these people. Why? Not because he trained in military arts. Trust me, he didn't go to West Point. Like, he's been a slave his whole life. What does he know about fighting war? He won because Moses fought the spiritual battle. He won because the battle was fought in the right way because ultimately God fought this battle, not him. Not him. You have to stop trying to just fix your physical battles and recognize there's something deeper under the battle that if it is not fought, you will not win. You can win. Are you in a battle right now? You can win. But you must fight the battle in the right way. So what do they do after they win? Verses 14 through 16. They set up a banner. They set up a banner. He says, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. He sets up a banner. He sets up a memorial to remember this. God tells Moses to write down that it happened here and set up a banner, something like a flag probably, but not necessarily a flag. They do this in other times, and it's, it's not a flag. Numbers 21, um, they, they set something up like this, but it's a snake on a pole. Um, and so it's just something on a pole or something visible to remember what has happened. Essentially, that's what we're talking about. The point is, we're a forgetful people, and God knows that. So he wants to provide visual ways for them to remember what God has done. So he has delivered them from their spiritual battles. So set up physical pictures to remind yourself of that. This is both a benefit to you and a benefit to others. Find ways to remember God's deliverance of you. What are the banners that are going to remind you of God's deliverance of you? So for me, one thing is journaling. I write down, I try once a day to sit down and just write a few things that happened during that day so that later on I can go back and read and remember, okay, I've been through this and I've been through this and this is what God did and this is how I came through this and oh, I felt this way five years ago. It's not a new experience for me. I know I can remember these things. Maybe it's mementos, things like photographs that you put out. Um, the minister who married Adrian and I gives something to every couple he marries, and we haven't we haven't updated it very well. But um, he gives a rock. He's, he gives a, a flower vase, and he gives like little 
little rocks, little rocks like you'd find in like a creek at the Smoky Mountains, the, the really smooth ones. And, and he tells uh, people, every time you go through something in your family, write it down on one of these stones and put it in the rock vase. And then 20 years from now, go back and look through them all and remember where you've been. Um, do, do something like that. You know, books you read. B- books I read are, are not just a book, but they're, they're like an experience that I go through. I put them on display proudly, so I look at the books on my bookshelf and think, God taught me this when I read that book, and God taught me this when I read that book. And I read this book while I was, you know, going up to bury my grandfather, and I, I read this book when this was happening. Things like that. Maybe a verse carried you through a time, a Bible verse carried you through a time in your life. Um, get one of those nice pieces of wood, nice pieces of wood at Hobby Lobby, and get that verse printed on there and hang it on your wall. And every time you see that verse, remember what God did for you. You've got to find visual ways you're going to remember how God delivered you from your spiritual battles. Because more battles are coming. They are. This is not the last time Israel would fight Amalek. Look at verse 16. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. He says earlier that I'm going to blot Amalek from memory from under heaven, but um, before that happens, he's going to be at war with them from generation to generation. They're going to fight Amalek again. They, they fight Amalek in the book of Judges. They, they fight Amalek in 1 Samuel. Um, in the book of Esther, um, the, the bad guy in Esther named Haman, he's, he's an Amalekite. Ultimately, he's descended from them. Um, Amalek was a descendant of Esau. So understand, Israel's from Jacob, Amalek's from Esau. They've been fighting since they came out of the womb together. Jacob and Esau were wrestling from the moment they were born. You're going to face more and more spiritual battles. And remember, they're spiritual. But next time the battle comes, the goal is that you are stronger in order to face it. You will only be stronger if you have won the previous battles. You must daily remember the victories from before in order to thrive next time and you do this so you can pass it on to others as well look at what he tells joshua to do verse 14 recite it in the ears of joshua that i will utterly blot out the amalekites from under memory because they're going to face the amalekites again so maybe they'll fight another battle and moses won't be there to stand on the hill and hold up his staff and um and joshua is fighting and he's really not sure they're going to win except that Moses has recited time and time again, God's going to destroy the Amalekites. You're going to win. That, that, that doesn't mean when it says he'll blot out the memory of Amalekite, that doesn't mean that, that nobody will remember Amalek or else this verse would contradict itself since it's basically putting the memory of, of Amalek in the Bible for, forever. God's going to completely defeat them. That's what it's saying. It's a metaphor. You must win your spiritual battles so you can help other people overcome spiritual battles. It's not just that Moses is going to fight them. Joshua is going to, and Joshua's kids are going to, and his grandkids and their grandkids. If Moses doesn't pass on how to fight them and the fact that they are going to win, if he doesn't pass that on, understand, um, and doesn't pass on the Lord's power of deliverance to them, they won't know how to overcome. This is a reminder for them. This is a place of fighting together. I called on those battling earlier to seek out help from those around you, But what about those of you who aren't battling something right now? Are you going to help people if they come to you? Like, don't just, you know, casually say, oh, that sounds bad. I'll be praying for you and, you know, walk off and go do your thing. No, take some time to sit with them and listen and offer help. 
Of course, there are cases that are going to come. If, if, if you're willing to do that, there's going to be cases that come to you that you don't feel equipped to handle. Um, you can refer those to me, and if I can't handle them, I'll refer them to someone else that I know. But those cases are rare. Most people that come to any of us with a spiritual battle are dealing with something that are pretty normal struggles. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have God's word and a smartphone. You're pretty smart people. You have all that you need. You must be passing on the faith to the next generation. That's how the church survives and thrives. One person passes the faith and passes the deliverance of God on to the next generation, and they turn and do the same. So, this morning, you're in one of three places. You're about to enter a spiritual battle, you're in one, or you're coming out of one. Remember, every battle you fight is spiritual in nature. So where are you at? If you're not coming out of a battle and not in one, you're probably about to enter one before too long. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself to fight that battle well. You don't learn to fight in the trial. You learn to fight when things are going well. If you're in a battle, seek out help. I'm, I'm ready to meet with you and talk anytime, day or night. Give me a call. That's what I'm here for. Um, or seek out help from another believer in this church that you trust. You cannot do this alone. You need people to hold up your arms. Maybe you're coming out of a battle. Like, like, like me this week, these two weeks that I've had coming out of a battle. Make a commitment now that you're going to do two things after that battle's over. Find ways to remember how God delivered you and use what you learned to help other people in their battles that are coming. Understand, Amalek will be wiped out of memory and so will your battles. There's coming a day when your battles will be no more. When all the battles of earth are gone. Until then, we fight and wrestle here on earth. We do. We're constantly wrestling something. But God is the mighty deliverer. And he gives us the victory in our battles, our spiritual battles. Every battle you face is spiritual. So seek out spiritual help. Father, I come to you, and I don't know where each person is at in what we're talking about, spiritual battles. Lord, we know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and so, so many other things, Lord. We, we face them. We, we, we face a lot of battles internally that, that people may not even know about if we didn't tell them. But Lord, whether, someone, whether the people here are coming out of a battle, in a battle, or about to go into a battle, Lord, I pray that you help them to take steps that are going to prepare them wherever they're at. May we be a community where we seek out help from one another. May we um, be honest and take off our mask and be real. It doesn't mean we share everything with every person at Walmart, but, but we, we, we do open up and share with others that we trust how we're doing so that we can get some help. Help us, Lord, to have Jesus as supreme in our life lifted up. He's the most important thing. Nothing else matters, including good things. And, Lord, help us to get help and overcome because you're the God who delivers, and you will wipe out every trial that we're dealing with, either now or in eternity. Be with us now in Jesus' name.